Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner-Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Hey everybody, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Daniel Omar Penner Klein. <laughs> Fuck yeah, what's up? <laughs> this is now a singing podcast. This is the musical I've, episode. <laughs> you fucking sing my name sometime in a like ululating sort of like your voice box is broken way that drives me nuts, man. But oh, that, I love it. that was that was terse. It was it was clean. It was I, I think you're just uncomfortable with your own name. I think that's a problem. I think you don't like it, and you don't like it bellowed with with authority and with pride. You might have hit a nerve. I don't like my name. I want to change my name so bad. I think I I used to not like my name either, but I'm owning it. I'm starting to own it. Good. Like I used to hate Ronnie. Now when I hear it, it's because my wife or someone who knew me from my childhood knows me, and that makes me feel there's a certain comfort in that. Yeah. Then for years I went by Ron and I'm fine. I don't know. I'm ambivalent about that, but I'm kind of owning Ronald. Like I'm really kind of digging, like just leaning into Ronald in a way that I haven't in the past. I love it. Yeah. I, love I like it. it. I like yeah. It. But your, your name doesn't have as much baggage as mine. That's bullshit, dude. You, what are you talking about baggage? <laughs> Ronald Reagan and Ronald McDonald. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, give me a break. Man. Fuck off, Jesus, man. What is Daniel? Christ. Come on, what's your baggage? Good lord. Good lord. Good lord. Uh, my personal baggage, that's what I'm saying. This oh, is gotcha. too much. It's been run all those names have been run through run through the ringer too much for me. You know, they attached to darkness and, and murder and loss and grief. And I'm just like, dude, just call me Rocky. You know, there's <laughs> a there's a certain um old ancient traditions that allowed a person to either change their name or they were called something else after, after a rite of passage. Bro, I fucking look, sorry, I cut you off. I mean, I think there's something about that. I think there's probably a lot, you know, to be said around that. Like, cause we, we go through things in our life that mark us and change us and would probably benefit us for us to be able to choose something else. Joe Campbell talks about how other cultures this is something that rang in my head a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh yeah. You know, cause I, I would love to change my name. Yeah. Um, and I remember this thing he said that were other cultures at some point in time, you change the way you dress, the way you speak yeah. the way you refer, and even your name. And so I was like, huh. And I looked up other cultures, relationships to names. Mm. And I think I mentioned this in a recent podcast, actually. There, what came up was this website and it was for American teachers and, a, and American oh, teachers these days with so many people of different nations coming into schools and coming into different countries, they need to know how different cultures relate to names. And man, huh. the list was so long and so varied. There was people who were like, I mean, it was to this extent. There was a, there's a country in Africa, I can't remember which one, where 
you have a name that everyone calls you, but they never call it to your face, but it's an official name of yours. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> I know, man. And then sundry different versions of that. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, man. See, that's like myopic culture, you know, cultural myopism, you know, yeah. myopia is like me, us thinking that there's only one way to have a name and it's your first name and your last name. And, uh, you know, and I just, it, it, there's so much more room for play in the, in the world of names. IMO. I agree. We should uh, we should come back to this some, at some point. So let's come back got, right now. Let's talk. Let's talk with Michael Poor about it. I like that idea. Uh, well, Michael Poor is uh, is an author. One of your favorite authors. Wrote one of your favorite books, right? If not my favorite book. If not your 100%. favorite. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna enjoy this episode because I'm only six chapters into this book. Yeah, and you guys have to talk about it without giving any spoilers <laughs> away. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's, That's funny. Cool. Well, he's here, man. You ready to get ready to let him in? Fuck yeah. Let's do it. All right, Michael Poor, you are author of the book Reincarnation Blues, the story of Milo, the oldest and wisest soul on earth. You also wrote Up Jumps the Devil, the story of John Scratch, who is really the devil and who has been bumming around earth since he got kicked out of heaven. The New York Review of Books called this book an elegiac masterpiece. Your most recent book, Two Girls, a Clock, and a Crooked House, published in 2019, is your first for young readers. Your short fiction has appeared in Glimmer Train, Southern Review, and Asimov's. Your story, The Street of, How of the House of the Sun, was selected for the year's best non-required reading in 2012. Michael, you believe in recognizing the humanity in everyone, embracing the little moments, and your two most valued writing tools, patience and persistence. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Cutting for Sun. Hi, thanks a lot. So where, where did you get that last part about the uh, the important tools and everything? I, I feel that you're right, but was that written somewhere? Or is that something you just decided? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, occasionally, I do put some, put some, uh, uh, some uh, connect some dots through stuff I read, but that's pretty specific. No, you said that in an in a interview as a short YouTube three-minute video about writing. Okay. All right. I, sh I should look up some of the stuff that I've said on YouTube uh, before. Uh, you know, I, think, I think Daniel's got kind of a divining rod ability to help people articulate like their experience in life. And, and over and over people, I, I didn't say it was right all the time. I might have just, I might, my daughter, my a... daughter would take issue with the patience bit. Yeah. I was going to say there, there's a, there's a, there's a margin for error that uh, in which I, I definitely potentially could have made that last bit up but i'm fairly certain i did <laughs> fuck i can't think it. i can't i can see well we've been talking long enough i can tell you're a perceptive guy i said wow i'm coming across as patient that's, very, that's awesome <laughs> well the other thing you know I'll, I'll echo that too because i i heard you say you know if you want to really be a writer you know give it 20 or 30 years yeah oh. and, that was it and i mean that's like that's the only thing that keeps me coming back to writing a single word at any moment is like, I thought, I think maybe when I'm really old, I'll like something good will come out of me and, and that'll be okay with me. Like it, it's okay with me if that, if it takes that long and then hearing that it's like, yeah, okay. Just keep at it. I, I read a, uh, listened to an audio book actually a number of years ago and I can't remember, I have a terrible memory. I can't remember the, the title of it, but it talked about people who, uh, who are successful with writing or, you know, other, other art when they're young, 
and uh, and then people who who uh, maybe their success comes along a little later in life and they said the young people you know it tends to be you know kind of powerful and and everything and you know mm. success comes very quickly they said but the the people who have success when they're when they're older and and this i'm not applying this to, to me they, they said it tends to be uh, uh deeper and wiser and uh and more and more complex uh that that was not the result of uh, of decade for me it was just because i I don't know. I wasted a lot of time along the along the way, but uh, but I but, don't know what that means. <laughs> wasted a lot of time. Yeah. Well, good for you. Ron has huh. been. <laughs> Ron and I, Ron, I, Ron and I are so so close to a to a mo a moment of like uh, scale tipping regret in how much time we wasted in our lives. They were like it only starting to gets worse. <laughs> don't say that. We're like this week. We both printed out. Um, you know, time trackers for every 15 minutes of your, of your day, just to see, just to do it and see how we're spending our day. You know, I, I would be okay with that now to a degree, but if you went back to like my, my, my twenties, I, I don't even remember, you know, uh, but th there was just a time-wise, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of learning experiences and then just a lot of wow, all that, all that time I spent doing such and such when I, I could have, I've always felt like my writing career and my, uh, my teaching career are about 10 years behind just because of mm -hmm. uh, uh, some, because of all the stuff I learned during my youth. Seriously, I, it's dude, a, I, oceans I, of time. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> like I saw the guy who plays, uh, um, Dwight on The Office. Oh, yeah. What's that guy's name? I, the actor. Anybody know? It's okay if you don't know. No, know. but he's a jerk, right? He can be a real jerk, can he? He's the tall, nerdy guy. Well, I don't, like I, in real life? That's not what I was going to get on <laughs> okay. and say. In real life, no. Uh, is he, Is he? A, I think on the Rich Roll podcast, talked about the existential angst people in their 20s feel about finding their their purpose, not being ahead in their career, not having enough success, and just the pressure they feel around that. <clears throat> And he said, uh, he's like, that's too much pressure. You should, you should, you should try and fail at like nine to 12 things in your twenties and give yourself that experience of doing that. And, and I sent that to my 15 year old, almost 16 year old son. And I could tell he's kind of struggling with his expectations of reality and his expectations of what success means mm. and, and what he's supposed to be. And, and, um, how so, how's he struggled with that? Um, I don't want to get into his story too much around that, but, yeah. but he's, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's just a lot of pressure for teenagers. Huh. There's a, we live in a culture where there's like a high expectation for success and quick success and, and, and wild success. Quick. Everything, oh. everything quick and wild. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be. Yeah. So, and, and so yeah. I sent him that video and he, he, he sent me something back. He goes, <clears throat> I really needed to hear that. And, oh. and, and the reason I bring that up is like the time wasting thing of my twenties or hell, even my thirties, I'm having to, I'm having to apply a lot of gentle acceptance around all that stuff and go, I was doing the best I had, best I could with what I had. Oh, totally. And, and yeah. yes, I wasted a shit ton of time, but I also didn't know better. So, I mean, maybe I didn't, I, maybe I did in some regards, but I didn't have the capacity. Certainly didn't. If I did, I would have, I would have done it differently. You know, plus like another one of the, cause I, I, I joke about the like regret, you know, 
but I manage that personally. I know Ron, Ron does too. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in living, you know, my state of being having, having a, a too much regret in it, like a pretty low um, tolerance or, or uh, for that. That's, you know? that's something I've, and, al- sorry, go ahead. No, please. It's okay. I was just going to say that's something I've always been uh, always taught and always read that it's important not to have regret to find the, the best you mm-hmm. can that you know, you can at least learn uh, from something that uh, you wish you wish you hadn't done here. Here's an example. I when I first moved up to I used to live in Ohio, uh, back in high school. Uh, I moved to Indiana because I fell in love with the with the girl that I met from uh, from from up here. And uh, then I moved up here, we did not remain married. But if it hadn't been for, uh, but that wasn't a regret. If it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have been living up here and wouldn't have met uh, the wife I have now and have the daughter that I, uh, that I have now. So it's, if you were to do like a genealogy tree of of regret, you know, there's always, you know, like other branches that it, uh, that it leads to. That's actually a really trippy exercise. I've done, I've exercised, I've done that sometimes where I'll just be like, what led me here? And I'll go down the path and I'll be like, oh my God, my life is connected to some weird events and in, in weird ways. You know what I mean? Yes. But how, how about this? It's connected up, up in weird ways. But what about those like little pinpoints, like one little itty bitty thing you did that let, that changed your, your whole life? Like in the case of meeting my first wife, we were teenagers. I happened to decide to go get on, get in a van at Ball State. It was a summer workshop and go to what's called the water bowl. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have met her and I wouldn't be my whole, I don't even know. I can't imagine what my life would, uh, would look like just because of one little decision. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's some, I, I was struggling with one thing that I had spent doing, I'd spent about 10 years doing. And I was just like, God damn, man, why did I do that? You know, why did I spend all that time doing this thing? And then I was just like mulling it over and chewing it up, chewing it up a little bit and seeing what it was made of. And I was like, oh my God, like five or 10 really significant things that I valued so much in my life only would have happened, or mm-hmm. it seems like they only would have happened if I, if I had done that. And I just had never connected those things. And the regret just, you know, I'm not going to say it went away, but it certainly relaxed a little bit, you know? Yeah, I I've found my wife and I are are starting to pull apart our life right now in pre- preparation for a um, potential move and a big move uh, overseas. Oh wow! And and um, you know we're going through the artifacts of our life, and I found uh, a pocket watch from um, my first wife that she gave me when we were before we were married, like when we were teenagers, I think, or you know maybe in our early twenties, and. And I don't know why, number one, why I kept it. Don't, don't even, I have no memory of how it kind of stayed in the, the artifact box. Um, but when I found it, man, all the regret that I had around that relationship, all the fear and the shame and all that stuff that I had is, is just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and instead, I was like, man, we were, we were doing the best we could in our lives at the time. And, and I, I just, suddenly it was like a really valuable totem to me again. And it's broken. It's it, I looked it up online, and it, it's like it's a legit pocket watch from the turn of the century. Mm. I was like, man, I think I'm going to try to get this repaired and and maybe pass this on to one of my kids because it's special to me. And I and I think about um, those little moments that like I, I for years I thought was a waste, you know, like and that's what was my first you know experience getting broken up with this person was what a waste of my time, like I. I wasted 10 years with this person. I don't feel that way at all anymore. I feel like 
fucking had a we had a good go at life and we for that season of our life we were good for each other in some ways and bad for each other and others but also the bad helped me understand how to live and how to recognize right. things about myself totally like a really one of the most valuable exercises that i actually need to spend more time doing uh as i just uh like you you have something you regret and then you go <clears throat> how am I doing that still now? Oh, yeah. mm. What sneaky way, what version of that am I still doing? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. You know, that, and I always come up with something. I'm like, God damn, yeah. just because you regret it doesn't mean you're not still doing wow. it. Wow. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the, the thing you were saying, uh, Ron, about, and this, this speaks to uh, what you, what yeah. you both uh, been saying here, uh, artifacts uh, from our, from our lives. Um, the, the woman I mentioned, my, uh, my first wife is a little, a little heavy. Uh, she died, uh, about mm -hmm. a, about a month and a half ago. And oh, I'm sorry to hear that, that has been, thanks. Oh, so, uh, th wow. that has, that has been, uh, quite a, quite a journey. We had, we had remained friends and then over like the last 10 years or so more like Facebook friends, you know, if something important mm -hmm. was going on, we'd get in touch or whatever, but we didn't share any kids or uh, or anything like that. But uh, you, that's led me to really, really evaluate that uh, not not 10 years uh, or anything, but it was, it was more like four, we weren't married uh, all that long, but it's led me to really, really evaluate that partially in terms of the fact that I'm the only one who remembers that marriage now. It used to be that mm. you know, both of us knew oh, wow. knew what it was like on a day day basis around the house mm. with the dogs and jobs yeah. and uh, stuff. You know, we lived in the mm. woods. That was kind of that was kind of cool. And no, yeah. no one out there. I'm, I'm the caretaker of, of that marriage, that wow. life. Now it used to be, there were mm -hmm. two of us who, who remembered it and that's twice as many. Um, so, mm -hmm. and then again, just, you know, I feeling like, uh, you know, I, I need to be a, a caretaker of, of her, her memory and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, remembering and learning, uh, learning good things, focusing on, on that. Cause it was mostly good. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's been a, that's been a really, that's been kind of a deep dive this summer. It's been, uh, it's been trippy and, and really, really sad. She was, you know, she was just a year younger than me, which is 54. Y'all probably don't think that's, uh, that's young, but. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. My, my dad passed away when he was 53 and I, and I'm 42, I'll be 43, you know, four or five months. And I, and like, it seems close. <laughs> My early fifties seems real close. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it is young, man. Um, you know, it uh, speaks, go sorry. ahead, Daniel. It speaks a little, or you're speaking a little bit, something that I think relates um, somewhat to, <clears throat> well, in my mind, it, it relates to the book, uh, to your, your book, Reincarnation Blues, which by the way, like, I think it's obvious we're not, this isn't a standard interview where we're like, let's talk about, you know, we're just, but I, I do, I'm so passionate about that book and it's been such a positive influence in my life, philosophically, entertainment wise, um, writing wise, um, that one of the things that comes to my mind a lot, what you're talking about is loss, right? Mm -hmm. And loss, mm -hmm. is, loss is a tough one for, for me, it has been, and it's getting easier, but grief tends to be, feel like a potential abyss, you know, for, for me. And I've seen other people, um, handle grief and and process it and experience it much more i would say maturely you know hopefully that's there's a way that that happens that's more natural but for me for some reason not for some reason there's stuff that happened in my past that that, that can connect it to some some pretty part big parts of the life so anytime i feel a sense of loss it feels like the world's crumbling mm -hmm. i had this experience over the summer 
where I was driving along the road and uh, and a bunch of cars were stopped and there was a deer walking across. And I was like, well, everyone wants the deer to pass, I guess. And then I got closer and I realized, oh, the deer's baby got uh-huh. hit. And this, I bring this up because of what you were talking about with, with your ex, is your ex-wife who passed? Is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I got out, another person got out and like, we got the deer off the road and then everyone had to go. And so they called the people who had to take care of the deer who were on their way and then everyone left. So I had like 10 minutes with this baby fawn that was not visibly dying. You know, it was just, I probably broke its back. It couldn't move, but its head could move. And we just stayed there. And I'm like, looking at this fucking beautiful, like pristine, soft, bright eyed. And I just, the line kept going through my head. You were just getting going. Like you were just starting. And of course I'm like anthropomorphizing that fawn, you know, and it's in a whole different state of consciousness. You know, it's not thinking about. It was remembering it's... its past lives. It was remembering <laughs> when it was the Maybe you know, it was, uh, Miss uh, Rose Parade in Portland, Oregon. That's and... right. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't but know I... that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, the sense of loss was scary. And, and I yeah. kind of like got a little, I was trying to experience it in honor and, and feel it, but it was also a little scary. And, and then uh, the cop got there and there was nothing they could do. And so as I was walking away, we hear the gunshot. Um, and it was fucking sad. It was really sad. But what, what that remind, what the sort of question in relation um, to you and your, the story that you wrote is, I couldn't help but think if you're going to go that deep into a story about reincarnation and past lives, you that you might have some feelings and potentially some beliefs or some experience around that. And if that has tempered or made it easier to grieve or, or do you think that us thinking that there's next lives and past lives is a way for us to avoid loss and just if we could speak a little around that i'm really curious about it okay uh yes in terms of uh in terms of belief meaning uh, i i don't know everything's everything's in a, an experiment an experimental uh experimental path so the the fact that i wrote the, the book reincarnation blues doesn't necessarily mean that i'm a big proponent for uh for the uh, the idea i hope so yeah. I hope so. There's there's <laughs> anecdotal. I, I I'm very much uh, an, an adherent to science. Uh, I want to I want to see proof. I want to see evidence, and that it can be anecdotal. It can be uh, experiential. But uh, it, it, as of now, I don't know. There are a lot of stories out there that uh, that make it seem like well, it's you know, and and why not? You know, we we recycle uh, everything else recycles. You know, water, planets, stars. Uh, why not? whatever it is, this voice in our head, our consciousness, why, why wouldn't, it seems like it'd be such a damn waste if, if you died and that just switched off. I mean, you're going to go somewhere and turn into worms and leaves and things like that. But I, um, I'm, I really like the idea that my consciousness is going to remain with me and, and hopefully, and, and, well, like in the, in the book, you, you die and then you remember, oh yeah, I, I knew Buddha and I worked on the railroad and I, you know, did, you know, all, all these things, but I'm, I'm at a place where I, I guess here again, I'm 55 years old and I'm, I've, I'm well into figuring out that, uh, the, the more, you know, the less, uh, the less, you know, the, the more yeah, possibilities are out there and the less I'm willing to say, this is what I believe. This is what I, I know, because there's very little of that, that is, that is certain. Um, I had the 
the idea for the book came from uh, a couple of a couple of people I've known uh, in my life who um, they made some unfortunate and extreme choices with uh, with drugs and alcohol and died even though they even though they cleaned up uh, a couple of decades later they still died because of because uh, you know thing conditions related to uh, you know, doing what they, what they did. And I just got yeah. thinking about that. And I, you know, they, they, they had to know it was coming. Their health was deteriorating and everything. And mm -hmm. just how they, and this is after the fact, after they were, were gone, just wondering what they, what they thought of, you know, impending, impending death, knowing that they'd, they'd kind of brought on a shortened life, you know, with their choices and everything. And, and that's, that's kind of where it started. And then it just sort of naturally bloomed into thinking about, about reincarnation and everything and i i started i started writing the book and it it had a lot of hinduism in it um i had uh, i had a good friend in high school who was uh who was hindu this is a little side sidetracking here and yeah. we were studying over at her at her house one day and this is a little embarrassing to me because it's very ignorant she had uh <laughs> she had uh figures on uh, the wall of her house of uh, various uh you know, gods from the, the Hindu uh, pantheon. And one of them, Ganesha, is a, is an elephant. And I just thought that was hilarious. And I said something dumb about the elephant. And she, she was just kind of like, you know, very quietly, very respectfully said, um, those are, those are our gods. Oh, man, I'm sorry, you know, because I was at least I was smart enough to know I, I was I was being uh, ignorant. Okay, I told you that was a tangent that goes absolutely nowhere. But right. So I, I, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of studying, listened to a lot of audio books uh, about Hinduism, and I really connected with it. And the original draft of uh, Reincarnation Blues was totally a Hindu book, and wow. uh, in, in my opinion. And then, then I've, I've got a good friend who is a, a Hindu, and he's, he said, yeah, he said, he said, I think you know more about Eastern religion than any other white guy in Ohio. Which is not, but not necessarily, or Indiana, just not necessarily <laughs> being too kind. But uh, any, anyway, then I, I had a talk with my agent early on, and she said, "Do you think it could be less about religion?" And I said, "It, it, it sure, as, sure as hell could. That was a good, that was a good <laughs> suggestion. Sort of, mm. sort, sort of just left the suggestions of uh, of Hinduism and whatever else in there, and just made it about the character." Guys, if you're an agent and you make a suggestion. <clears throat> Is that not the best response from an author you could possibly? Yeah, get? I can do that. So. It sure as hell can. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very fortunate. My my agent, her name her name is Michelle, is a smart cookie man. She knows she knows storytelling better than I do. Um, uh, I'm not entirely sure why she doesn't have uh, her her own books out there because when we have a conversation about where where a book needs to go, she's wearing the teacher hat. So she said, you know, you know, granted, she can kind of look at it from a little bit of distance, but man, she really knows her, knows her stuff. So when she says that something looks a certain way and can we do this, I'll at least try it. Interesting. That's interesting. Well Sorry, good. I, I mean, I'm, I mean, my brain is like, ooh, what's the life of an agent like? I mean, that's I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm very curious about that. I'm also curious. So last night was because my wife and I were listening to the story, and and the uh, this was the section about the whale dying on the beach mm. and and have you guys ever have you ever seen a beached whale in real life no even even one that's like de been dead for a while no i've seen um, that video of the one they blew up that one time do you know what i'm talking about Oregon. yeah it's here in oregon all right good job yeah they didn't blow it up though right wasn't that the gas just no, no they blew it up with dynamite. A dynamite yeah 
Oh no! In the eighties, like early eighties, because they thought that it would vaporize, it? and it, instead it didn't. It just giant chunks like of whale fifty pound like chunks of whale are falling out of the sky. Mashing cars and like <laughs> <laughs> breaking property. God, you got to look it up on YouTube when we're when we're done. It's, it's great. Cool. It's super good. I always thought maybe it's just a different video, but there's ones that like the gas builds up yeah. and then they just explode. It's the fucking grossest thing you've ever seen. Right? I know, isn't it great? <laughs> so, so years ago, my my uh, first wife and I were in um i believe somewhere near santa rosa california which is where they filmed the birds um hmm. and and that part in northern california even in the dead of summer has these crazy walls of mist these huge banks of mist that will roll into the beach in the shore and you can stand in the sunshine and be like burning up and then you can see the bank of mist you know 50 yards in front of you and you can walk into it and disappear oh. and and uh, I remember walking on my own. And have you guys ever smelled a rotting corpse of any kind? Yes. Oh, it's Sweet. the worst smell. It's yeah, I can't think gorgeous. of a worse smell than that. And <clears throat> and the way the wind was swirling around, I caught I caught you know a whiff of it. And I was like, oh geez, that is pretty strong. And I just started looking around and kept walking through the mist. And pretty soon I came up on um, a whale carcass that was probably a baby whale is my guess. Cause it wasn't that big. It was maybe 16 or 18 feet long versus 50 feet long, you know, but it, it, it was old. You could see, you know, the oh. flesh was still hanging on it. The eyes were gone. Most of the inside of it was gone. Much of the spine was like still there. And, but the smell was wild, oh. like just a wildly strong, awful smell. And, and that ep you know the, the episode that chapter that part of the chapter where where um i don't want to give too much away on what's going on with the whale but what's going through the whale's head and what's going on in the witness's yeah. head around it you know um that's the part where de death like tries death says no this is gonna live right, right. Isn't that? Yeah. yeah 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 and it kind of fucks it up because the whale's so far away from the the water like there's nothing that can be done Oh, it's like crushing itself. With its yeah, own yeah, 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 yeah. And I, but I was listening to that last night and it's like, it, you know, I've had a few experiences as a hunter and as a, as a boy, boy hunter of watching the life leave something. And it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. And, mm -hmm. um, I cried, uh, the first few times I killed something as a child and like, like cried like real hard, like with the anima, the whatever the spirit is, whatever the consciousness is, whatever the mechanism is that creates life that makes something move. I recognize like got taken out of the little object that I was holding birds in both cases. And then I couldn't put it back. I couldn't like get those pieces back together. And when I was, you know, a kid, like I was super into, uh, things like Legos and there's another thing called constructs and all those other kind of like little, you know, uh, engineering kind of things that you can put together and it's like putting things together and taking them apart. And my brain could not handle the idea of something being taken apart to the point where it couldn't be put back together. And I also grew up super religious and, and I remember just like begging God to like put the spirit back in or whatever it was back into, you know, the birds. And, uh, man, you, you know, I, I bring all that up, dude, because, um, you know, Michael, you, you talked about, you, 
your experience or the, ex the experience of the whale with its, you know, consciousness coming in and out of itself and the, the almost hope in one sense, like, oh, here, you know, maybe it's going to come back. And, you know, as, a, as the listener to the story and the reader, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait for this whale to go back. And you're talking about it. it's, uh, I love that part about um, the meditation of the ocean. And uh, I can't remember if that was from that part or from the shark just swimming around and, and being like at one with the ocean. Oh, that's one of the best ones. Like you have a, they have a line where I can't remember the line right now, but essentially it's just that there's the pure hunger and consciousness of a shark. You, you just described the like ancient primal simplicity of a shark cruising, you know, for food really well. You know, and you do that all the way through that. And that's, I think that's so special. It reminds me of like, Stephen Hold on, King, Daniel. I, I don't want. I don't want to get too far away from this. With what I was going to say about this, yeah. but it's like, like, what's you like? Did you watch someone die, or like have your own experience mm. with death, or something like that? You know, because that's a pretty. It feels like a seasoned experience with death. Yeah, and and a pretty healthy, you know, reverence for it. Uh, I I did. Uh, my uh, I had a brother who uh, passed away when mm. he was 22 of uh, of cancer, yeah. and the family was gathered around him as he yeah. as he died, and uh, it was it was fairly peaceful. You could tell he was aware of what was of what was happening, but then he just sort of uh, he just sort of slowly stopped, and uh, and then there he was. He was dead, and I remember at the time having. Uh, I, I wrote about it at the at the time, just just privately saying it just felt so distinctly like something had changed. Not that you know mm -hmm. that he had that he had gone that he had gone somewhere, but uh, there there's a lot of details that 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 might be upsetting just about you know how his eyes looked and some of the sounds yeah. that he made, like maybe he was trying to say something and just and yeah. just couldn't uh, yeah. anymore. And I, I don't pretend to know what that. Uh, what that was like but it was obviously it was an event that he was experiencing it wasn't just like you know someone shut him off um mm. but uh but yeah that's and that's that's informed a lot of a lot of my thinking and a lot of uh mm. a lot of writing and the way i the way i interact with uh with people so Do you ever <clears throat> sorry you can continue thanks for sharing that man you bet. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, I wanted wanted to say real real quick. Also, also, Daniel, what you were you were referring to uh, before before we went back? The, uh, the it was like a perfect sense of equanimity or and peace or something like that. That it, what it said about the about the, <laughs> the about the shark. I was very I was very proud of that at the at the time. That was one of the that was actually in the first first uh, draft. Just real quickly, humorously, I went on Facebook not long after that, and I I said. Uh, Oh, and he, the shark had once been the 1985 strawberry queen of yeah. Troy, Ohio. Yeah. Troy, Ohio right. is my home is my hometown. And I went on, on Facebook and I said, does anybody remember who was the 1985 <laughs> strawberry queen? And it's one of my Facebook friends. Her name's her name's Kelly. Came on. She said, yeah, me, you bastard. You don't remember that? She said, she, you've had me wondering, like, for the last couple of weeks, does that mean I was a shark in a former life and everything? And, and it was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, I said, by the way, I had a crush on you when we were in school she thought uh, i had a crush on you too that was kind of fun. oh <laughs> that's awesome and here that's, she here she is in the book awesome. i made her a shark so hey, hey this is an informal uh informal question that i'm trying to collect from everybody i know but have has any have either of you ever had a, a dream about a shark attack go ahead Mike. not that i remember but i'm sure i have yeah. uh 
yeah. I'm a huge fan of the movie Jaws, and yes. I'm sure I've had a shark dream at some point. <laughs> it's a pretty good movie, Daniel. <laughs> <Check it out. laughs> I think you have, haven't you, Daniel? Dream about a shark attack. I mean, I don't want to get too far off on this, but no, I ask it a not. lot, and and like more more often than not, people say yes. Dreams about sharks and being attacked and about sharks has has been one of the primary storylines of my inner world and my experience on earth i've had a hundred and i've had them in all i've had them since i was a kid they've been incredibly intense i've died i've experienced and remembered dying i've been hunted i've been uh, attacked torn apart recently they're they've been changing over the last five years or so more recently they've uh the last one i had the i was swimming at night toward land but i was a good mile or two out and there was a couple of like faint lights on there and i was freaked because that's a long ways and it's at night and i knew i was in a shark dream and there's these uh three sharks that came toward me and the fear has changed over the years now it's not quite so terror now it's just like a deep round big dull pain fear Mm. and and what they did was they came just like an attack, but then what they did was they'd rub. They just came really close and they rubbed. And then they started kind of like pushing me toward land, like subtly, like even to put those words to it makes it to like, hey, happy story ending. It wasn't that yeah. clean. But it, they've become this intimate, terrifying, but more, more less of a threat, which is yeah. hugely existentially encouraging <laughs> to my to my life and the trajectory of what's going on well they, yeah, they say nightmares right this is actually from a movie or something <laughs> i think it's from watching the sandman in the, in the last few days where they say that nightmares are our, our mind's way of presenting us with our fears so they can overcome them is a, is there a certain reason that that dream would reoccur with you with such obvious uh, intensity and I've given a lot of thought to it, you know, and I'm sure you've been exposed probably to more ideas around this than I have. But, you know, the idea that I've kind of landed on regarding dreams is it's aspects of our psyche kind of working it out, you know. And so I, you know, I have a little pet peeve that when people will say they have a dream, then they go, it was so weird, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what an unsatisfying ending to land on with a dream. Like, that's your takeaway that it's an. No, it's not weird. This is your psyche talking in a language and yeah. let's figure it out. Let's celebrate. It. Let's enjoy it. Let's be curious about it. Let's make some decisions about what it means. Let's let's not assume that there's a message that has to be read, but that we get to decipher and make meaning. And, you know, we have a creative role. You know, Right. I mean? Somewhere in there is the idea that uh, I, I think it's important to examine what our consciousness is doing when we're uh, when we're dreaming, because we don't we don't how often do it we usually don't know we're dreaming i mean have you guys ever done anything yeah. with lucid dreaming or we actually did a whole episode on dreams a few few months ago and we talked about it, lucid dreaming a little bit i i i can't i occasionally i'm aware that i'm dreaming and i can kind of have direction but most of the time a dream's gone as soon as i wake up and if i'm lucky something will happen like i like this happened to me the other day i had a very vivid dream about making a movie and Alec Baldwin was in it. And, Uh-oh. Um, did, he, and, did he shoot you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> I used to call Alec Baldwin one of my spirit animals because he's such a son of a bitch. And I just well, identify rock. with that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I uh, and I 
completely forgot about it. Totally forgot about the dream. And then, then I saw a headline about him and it was about that thing. You just, you know, the accidental shooting that happened and suddenly the whole dream came back and I was like, yeah, oh, holy shit. Holy shit. It's all there. So I've, I tried to remember as much as I could and kind of parse away what's going on and with my, with my deal. But I, I didn't remember that I called him a spirit animal until just now, um, maybe two minutes ago. So now I kind of want to re re-examine what was going on with him in my dream. Well, well and what were you saying? There? Well, what I was uh, getting to is when you're, when you're not lucid dreaming, when you're just, you know, that normal dreaming, uh, these things happen that are, you know, they're, they're, they're mythical. They're not uh, to get away from yeah. say, saying that they're weird, but let's say, you know, they say, Oh, there was this person and it was my mom, but it was also a fish in the fish tank yeah. or something like well, that. You would think that that would signal to your, to the consciousness that's going on within the dream that I must be dreaming because that, that doesn't that's not something i i see at you know on johnston street in highland indiana on a on a day-to-day -day basis but your mind something is shut off that uh that allows us to you know experience the mythology of it without uh without challenging it without going to that place like you were saying say oh well this is this is just weird which is not very but not very uh, productive so you know how does our mind do that and if if that was if that's something that we can apply to our our waking selves is to just shut off yeah. that uh, that editor and i would think that that would be a step toward uh the the cleansing of the consciousness that uh, that william blake talked about uh you know mm -hmm. seeing things without you know perception interfering because we do it well, when we're dreaming yeah. exactly like uh i've been doing a lot of thinking about this right now and rewriting my artist statement i'm a i'm a painter and and i'm really using painting right now as a way to express and make some decisions around um, my inner world and my personal mythology and to create it and to have fun with it and enjoy it. And then hopefully have it help, help life and how to navigate life. And, um, and I remember back uh, about 15 years ago, there was a time where I didn't have a cell phone and I didn't have even a phone in my house for about a month or so. And I was taking kind of clocks. It was a little bit, um, uh, what's that word for when you're acting a little bit strange? Uh, you're like being, um, I can't think of it, but I was being strange. Eccentric. Yes. Thank you. It yeah. was a little eccentric <clears throat> and long story short, I would, I was trying to, uh, jumpstart my imagination because I had this theory mm. and I was reading the story of my life and I was like, wow, I got more into athletics. And then my creative self got, got, it became alive later in life. So I need to, you know, give it some attention. And I wanted to be able to imagine more. So I would do these imaginative exercises. One of them would just be I'd lay down and like peel labels off of what I believed, like hmm. simple ones, like it's Tuesday. You know, that's just a belief. There's nothing in the world that says right now, really, that it's Tuesday. You know what I mean? It's just, just let me believe it's Saturday. Let me just decide it's Saturday. So I would do things like that. And I would do them a lot during the day. And I would imagine it was different seasons and I would imagine I was different places. And I just like starting to, it was hard and it, I didn't like it. And I quit doing it a bunch, you know, I like failed most of the day, but mm. I was doing some good work. And during that time I had a fucking lucid dream. And I mean, a full on, I dropped through my bed, boom, about three feet into another room. I got up, I walked around and I was like thinking there, this is a no you, there's no coming back from this type of experience. It, I was a hundred percent conscious in a dream. And I've, I've had some lucid visions and some, you know, lucid, lucid dream, I think is more of a spectrum. You can be like 5% aware. You can be a hundred, but this was like the full on thing. 
And I can't help but think it had to do with me cutting out life a little bit, being more introverted for a while, focusing, not having a lot of like outward connection. And then my brain can kind of maybe relax in some ways, but I don't know. But that, that, those efforts seem to equal something around lucid dreaming. Okay. That, uh, that makes me think of something that uh, I've been doing more of the, uh, I don't know, probably the last uh, three years or so. You guys know about the I Ching? It's a yeah, kind of yeah. kind of a divine divining uh, method that you. Well, uh, I, I went and I I got myself a book and and three coins and started trying this out. Just as uh, it, the way I understand it's it's supposed to work is it functions kind of like a Zen koan. It it just sort of shocks you out of how and and what you're. Oh your you know your thinking process now and forces you to think about something else and to come and look at a problem from a, from a different perspective and this is uh something just like about a year ago my daughter had a problem she was uh she was trying to solve you know what to do or i can't remember exactly what it was so i said well i you want to you want to throw the chain and uh, she said sure so we sat down and we did, did the coins and we looked up the passage and read the and read the passage and she applied it to the problem and i don't remember if it helped solve the problem or not but i remember my <laughs> wife my wife janine was out on the out of the porch yelling in well you wouldn't want to make a list of pros and cons or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh but but both both ways make uh make a lot of sense different uh different ways of of thinking but that uh that's 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 just fascinating to me you you were you were applying basically the same the same thing you were you know forcing yourself to get, doing it very very consciously and that's i kind of applaud that I'm, i was impressed with that i'm gonna i'm gonna try that and uh yeah. and, and it brought about a shift in your consciousness well i think yeah i did i appreciate that that's high praise and and uh you know i i've continued to do that to some extent and i just moved into a place that has a little bit more nature it's a little closer to nature you know and a specific type of nature that i really identify with my inner world it's like this creek bed but it's a dry creek bed and it's overgrown with sycamores and and uh oak and you know uh, vines and it's just very much you know i i keep imagining that it's part of a big labyrinth you know and i it's just it inspires imagine imagination and it puts me in line with that and i I've been like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get back to doing this and just starting to peel off some of these labels. And I think of the inner world as being built, you know, the structures of the, of an inner world for me would be like, you know, the weather is kind of the emotions that we experience and the buildings are kind of our beliefs, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, there's something about my creative expression that is a little frustrating. And I'm curious what you think about this and you too, Ron is like, I want to create a, myth, a personal mythology. Like that's mm -hmm. one of the things I want to do in this world. But you got to make decisions about that. And you also have to create an inner world that has boundaries that are expansive enough or world parts of it that are expansive enough to, to, it, to hold anything, you know, because I really do believe that the psyche is, you know, it's as deep as we want, to, want it to be. So you can't be like, my inner world is, you know, it's a valley and there's this and that. It's like, there's gotta be some doorways to the other parts of the psyche. I, don't, I hope this isn't too far out there, but I, I just think that one, an author does that, you know, an author creates, they're in their inner world, but I want to make art that is like, it all kind of fits in one world and there can be like a pantheon of art at the end of the life that all you can say like, yeah, this kind of fits down there. And I think mm -hmm. Stephen King did it with his, when he tied everything together with the dark hour series, like, 
he kind of did it on a massive scale. And I was really curious if you ever think, what do you think about that? And you too, Ron. That, that's how I write. That's, that's, I, I, mm. I completely and totally identify with that. Just, just as a, a one example, during the summer, uh, I tend to write at the patio table outside. And then there's, then there's the yard, which is just, it's just a green flat space with, with a, a bird bath in the middle of it. And then there's this wall of, of green. It looks like it's the edge of the woods, but really it's only about five feet deep. And then there's another house and, and so on and so forth. But in, uh, in my, like you were talking about, the, like with the sycamores and the dry creek, creek yeah, bed and everything yeah. and then you imagine that it's part of a labyrinth that's kind of where i am i uh I even a couple of years ago started in june there's a you know what kudzu is yeah it's this weed that'll just grow a, a vine that will just grow over trees like a sheet well there's Invasive, something back yeah. there that yeah it is there's something back there it's not kudzu but it's i don't know the cousin of kudzu or something like that and it's just, it's kind of beautiful it's a book title well, I went, the cousin of kudzu. <laughs> <laughs> and i went and I, I cut a doorway through it and then beyond that there's just a part of the neighbor's yard and then nice. some more trees so it looks yeah. really cool you can't tell that it's it's just a little piece of uh suburbia and when i write out there a lot of times i'll mm. find if, when i'm trying to solve a problem or think of something yeah. or or whatever i'll find my gaze kind of wandering over to that uh, that little door because it's a little door into 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 personal mythology and i find my i find myself connecting awesome. with ideas that i might not have had otherwise but it goes further than that uh just about 10 years ago i started keeping a daily a daily diary uh, and it's on it's on the computer. It's gonna I, I put pictures. I try to take at least one picture during the course of the day, and go back and then discuss a little bit about where what happened during the day, uh, mm. kind of fits into personal mythology. And what's surprising, and maybe it's because I'm I'm no longer 22 or something like that, is a lot of times I'll just look back and say, oh, I wonder what happened like two years ago today, and it'll just be something like, oh, I spilled something on my shirt or something like that. So there's a great deal of ordinary uh uh in it but that's just that's just that's just real uh realistic and then you know talking about mm -hmm. demons like maybe something uh something that happened with with work that uh that was unpleasant or or so on yeah. so on and so forth that the day i i got hit by a car i was walking not badly it was just it was dark the guy was turning i happened to be crossing the street and the next thing i know i'm on the hood of this guy's car here in the in the neighborhood and uh that's really as far as as far as that goes but i went home and i made a big deal big deal about it in the diary i got hit by a car and then in smaller print i was just fine and you know and <laughs> but you kind of you kind of look for the things that are that are a big deal and that uh, and that make yeah. a difference and and then uh and like like daniel said uh peeling the labels off of it you know what okay that's what yeah. that's how you would ordinarily talk about what happened what what really happened I, 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 can you guys hear me? Okay. Still hear me? Yeah. Fine. All right. Sorry. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> um, Daniel, and I have to do this, uh, uh, in different cities or we'll, or it'll turn to blood sport. Shut up. <laughs> uh, you know, I am, I am, I think still in the process of deprogramming my religious experience from childhood. And, and yet I'm, I sometimes miss the, the, state of relaxation that comes from just believing something, you know, being full into an, a mythology or an idea. And, and I think, I think I have a hard time creating a new mythology because, um, I'm, I'm a little adverse to wanting to like, to, uh, say, this is what I believe about any one thing now, 
but I think they're they're my my guess right now is, and maybe this is just my own experience is, um, I feel like my life probably needs certain convictions and parameters and structures in order in order for it to go well. And I'm so adverse to all those things because of my past experience. But I all, I'm, I'm, I'm also like, I'm wrestling with it. I guess I'm just saying all that out loud to say I'm wrestling with all of it. It's like, I want it and I'm also wrestling with it. It's and, fucking hard, man. Yeah. I, I, I spend most of my day thinking about how to create, what, what do I believe? What are my values? And what are some symbols, some interesting mm. and adventurous, uh, unique and authentic to me symbols that would represent that in yeah. a world, in an environment. And then, and then let me paint that. And, yeah. and Ron, it's tough, man. Like you got to have time. You got to have creative time. You got to, you know, make decisions. You have to be courageous. You have to say no to most ideas, which is like fucking it's miserable, but man, I feel like the adventure of creating a personal mythology is for me, it's, it's, I might be the most satisfying thing that, that I've experienced in, in life. You know, mm. it's like Joe Campbell says, it, right. He says dreams are the personal mythology and, and religion is the public dream, you know? And, and, and I think that it's not, it's okay to, for us to start to recognize that part of the individual individuating, you know, people are becoming way more individual. Part of that process of society is natural and, Part of it is that we're letting go, some people, not everyone, of big religions because they just don't fit personally enough. And so we find different, well, maybe we'll take different parts of different religions. A lot of people do that. Yeah. But continuing that process, I think eventually you land on, you know, let's let me make my own religion, religios, way to relink to the mystery. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. It's not blasphemous. It's it's good. It's a, yeah. it's also entirely natural and maybe un, unavoidable. There's a there's a part of our brain that that's what it does. It, it experiences what mm. what Carl Sagan called the numinous. Instead of feeling that mm. something was uh, related to you know religion or gods or anything like that, he just you know took in this feeling of awe that we have when we uh, when we yeah. see or feel. Uh, certain things and it's related it's related to that but uh like what what daniel just said about being difficult yeah it sure is because it's uh it's dangerous when you you follow your yeah. you, wherever you follow your your mind that's just as big a deal as you know where you go where you go physically um and mm -hmm. uh that's it that's it. I lost, <laughs> I lost track, but I, 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 I I've yeah, been yeah. doing that for, uh, for, for about 10 years. And, uh, I know, uh, you, you, you also, you talk about, uh, you know, the parameters that need to have those in, in your life. And that I, I wonder if that'll, yeah. is something that's going to, a tendency that'll grow as you get older. Like I was saying, it, it, it has, yeah. it has with me. And, yeah. was this uh, for, and for me or for Ron was Ron, were you saying the parameters? Yes. Yeah. I was. He was yeah. talking yeah. about yeah. the religious experience that he had as a, a, a younger yeah. person that, that wasn't, you know, that he's leery of uh, going in, yeah. going in that direction now. But uh, you know, now you probably realize that you, you have the freedom to, you can, you don't have to keep going down a certain path. There's nobody standing there saying, this is what you must do. And we're going to have a peer session uh, to make sure yeah. that you're still following the book and, uh, and all that. It's just, it's just you. And uh, you know, wherever you go there, uh, there you are. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, it's, it's like, 
it's like Ron, when you talk about, or when, when people talk about deconstruction, you know, deconstructing their, their experience of religion, you know, if, if that is something that someone goes through, you know, I, I really think about it, it make like making that into a, an image and a story. Like yeah. what if you wrote, you know, just, just having fun. What if you wrote a story about a big church that for some reason had to be deconstructed, not demolished, not torn down ha- you know, haphazardly, but it had to be deconstructed. And then those pieces may be used for some other structure, like, mm. you know, a, a person, and I'm not saying you should do this, this is, might not be authentic to you. But I think that, you know, if like, I, I'm doing that right now, except it's a castle. And it's like a castle that is going from having thick walls to being open and there's a garden in the middle of this castle and for for reasons that i've you know mysteries and reasons that i've kind of landed on through life and thinking of but i know that the house my conscious mind in my inner world is in a castle and that that castle has really thick walls and that came from a quote i heard one day where pain creates walls and i was like oh interesting mm-hmm. yeah and then it said healing creates doors and i was like Okay, cool. So what if I had a castle yeah. with like thick walls and they were like viney and overgrown? There's a garden in the middle of the castle that has this, this statue in it of a woman. You know, I just blah blah blah. I could get into it. I, I was gonna ask you what was in the was in the garden, and I'm not surprised to hear it's a, a statue. That's a that's a common common mm-hmm. mythical image. And and you find it, it find it in stories. Yeah, the, the hero finds the, the dark castle and wanders into the garden, and there's the statue of the woman because of course it's a woman who was turned to stone. And yeah. uh, we, 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 we all share those, uh, those, those images. That's what makes it goes back to what you were talking about, about the shark attack dream that so many people, people have. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's yeah. a trope that's in our consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The statue I, in the garden. Well, yeah. to, you know, it's really strange. Just, this is my own experience. I had this premonition that we were actually going to talk about statues in the garden at the top of this call. I'm not kidding. I, had I believe you in my mind. I had the image in my mind beforehand. And I well, think the actual image was um, uh, from the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where all of the, you know, the animals are trying to go fight the, the Ice Queen. And one by one, she turns them all into stone right. before, you know, before it could happen. I think for me that the statue in the garden, and I'm still working it out, but I'm literally working on a series of paintings right now that's that's going to explore this and kind of make some decisions around it. You know, decisions aren't no pun intended made in stone, but like, you know, they're, they're like some decisions, you know, at least for this series. But that, that garden, that statue in the garden of the woman, there's something about when I am in mm-hmm. love with a, a woman, that statue becomes real, but it also leaves the castle, you know, and it wow. has choice and that freaks me out. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. When like I that, landed- yeah. Like the thing that you admired doesn't have to stay. It comes alive. Yeah. yeah but it yeah. also can, you know, it's like you land on these yeah. images and these little, that's not a story, right, Michael? But it's it's a part of a world or a story or a situation. And anytime I put a piece of that puzzle in place, I'm like, fuck yeah. Like I know myself a little bit mm. better. Okay. Well, if, if going back to your, you know, your Joseph, uh, Joseph Campbell, you know, neither one of you belong in the in the castle. That's that's some place that you had to go to learn something or or retrieve something. So if uh, if she comes to life, you guys might go back to the to the to the real the real world together. She's supposed to leave the castle. You're supposed to leave the castle. 
I don't remember that uh, Campbell reference. Can you say more about it? Oh, I'm, that's just, it's a Campbell-esque reference. It's, it's not oh, going back to something uh, specific, but he does generally talk about how, you know, you eventually get to a place where you, you go into the dark tower and uh, there's, there's, there might be a queen figure and there might be the, the people of you who are, you are turned to stone in the garden. And then there's a problem that you have to solve and you eventually solve the problem by, you know, you're obliterated. You, you give up, you might, you might die, or at least there's the possibility of, of death, but you give up all of your, your worldly desires and uh, maybe it works out for you. Maybe it doesn't. And if you're able to do that when you're done, then you get the rewards. You learn the thing you were supposed to learn. You get the, you get the magic sword and the frozen people in the garden come back to life and they can go back to their, to their own world. So the, the hero leaves and, uh, and the, and the stone people leave. You know, I was I'm listening to uh, I'm listening to Hero with a Thousand Faces right now. I read it a couple of times, but now I finally got the audiobook. I'm really listening. And there's, he speaks to that a little bit. I don't know if the beginning of this quote speaks to it, but I couldn't sleep last night around two or three. I woke up and I just started listening. It was a really good place to really absorb some of these ideas. And I wrote down some of the quotes, but let, let me share this because this quote ends with what you were just saying. Hmm. Uh, he says, the divinity itself became his terror. For obviously, if one is oneself, one's God, then God himself, the will of God, the power that would destroy one's egocentric system becomes a monster. I think that was an amazing quote. And then the, there's a piece of art he referenced. I don't know who the author was, but it says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And then back to Joe Campbell. One is harassed both day and night by the divine being that is the image of the living self within the locked labyrinth of one's own disoriented psyche. The ways to the gates have been have all been lost. There is no exit. One can only cling like, cling like Satan furiously to oneself and be in hell or else break and be annihilate at last in God. Yeah. Yeah, that then that, that gangster. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. So, have you? Uh, are you familiar with the movie Jacob's Ladder? I I'm aware of it, but I've not seen it. Okay, I don't want to give away too much because I think yeah, you, I think yeah. you'd really uh, really enjoy it. But uh, Tim Robbins plays uh, uh, a soldier Whoa. in Vietnam, and throughout the movie, he faced there are there are monsters and confusions and things that are very oh. very 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 strange, almost you know dreamlike. Um, not to not to say weird, and then in the end, you you find out that uh, his Danny Aiello plays his uh, chiropractor, oh, and uh, he he tells him he said uh, when you when you give in when you allow your you know yourself and all these desires and everything to be annihilated, then you find out that the monsters turn to angels, and uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot more to it, but Jacob's Ladder, Tim uh. Robbins. Yeah, that's saying the same thing. That's right. what I liked about that quote is it's yeah. like, oh, so when that thing that's trying to get you to break and get you to get on your path, when that thing is suppressed, it becomes a fucking monster in your face, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's what those sharks are doing and why they're changing very slowly, you know, at least relative to my life. You know, they're turning into, oh, they're still fucking scary, but like, they're not coming up and ripping chunks of my heart out. They're like assisting me somehow. That's got to be mm. progress, not getting the chunks ripped out. It's so, gotta be what do you guys think? What do you guys think is your process of uh, of annihilation with that? Fucking, that's an awesome question. 
I mean, because I've I've done you know a fair amount of psychedelics for that very reason, specifically not to not to like you know just like do drugs, but to but to annihilate my ego. Um, yeah, you lead groups. I do, yeah, yeah and I like and I um, especially we talked to uh, Gay Hendricks a few weeks ago, who's a, a pretty prominent psychologist and and writer on this kind of stuff. And he talked about um, meditation, a daily meditation practice. And I have been doing that. And that's been very, very, very helpful in my process of annihilation. But there is this feeling still that like there's some part of me, whether it's fear or ego or some combination of those both, feels like a bad tooth that needs to get pulled out. And and do you guys, what's your, I mean, I, I think you described it a little bit, Daniel, of like, yeah, I didn't have a phone. I lived in this kind of hermitage in my, in my house for a while what do you guys do yeah exactly writing and imagining has a lot <laughs> lot to do with it there's i'm a little limited in what and in, in what i can say for reasons having having to do with uh my, my professional life but uh I, I heard not too long ago a story of uh it was it was timothy leary's story of his his first encounter with lsd and uh, mm -hmm. someone brought it over to the house. His wife was there. His family was there because it wasn't anything that was considered wrong. It was it was a psychological right. tool that they were looking at, or a psychiatric tool they were they were looking at. And so they they took it. And he talked about how he went up to his, uh, I believe it was his his daughter's room just to just to say good night, and and she, and she said okay. Good night, Dad. And that was it. And he was able to perceive that that wasn't nearly enough. That there was that that, that relationship was this palace of realities and possibilities. But that the general relationship that they had with the little things that you say going around the 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 house during the day was just such a small part of what it could be. And it made him so sad that wow. you know, that he was. Then he started yeah. applying it to other things. When he went and he talked to his. Uh, his, his son and everything that you know that there was this gigantic labyrinth with the sycamores and the dry creek bed and, and everything out there and he was and he was only living in a little bitty uh a corner of it and yeah. um so that yeah i think that can be that can be very 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 useful for me it, it just comes with the you have to break through a wall you probably know about this with your, your painting and, and your writing you have to break through a wall where you you don't edit yourself while you're while you're working there's a place that you that you have yeah. to go and be in uh what's the um there, there there's a movie where the guy the saxophone player dies and then he comes, soul. comes yes so good where you know yep. the part where he's in the uh it's the afterlife place or whatever it was and you've got the people who yes. are floating around doing their things like playing piano if you're in yeah. the zone then you're in that after that magical afterlife place and yeah. it's got the, yeah. the boat that comes sailing along is it you have to find your way into into that place and that involves annihilation of some kind not just annihilating yeah. your your editor but you know allowing something else that's out there to break through yeah, yeah i think that's an amazing question ron and and I think maybe I would have to like, maybe even choose a different word than annihilation. Like mm. maybe for me, that's a little much, like it doesn't really. A little too heavy. I don't, I don't know if something needs to be annihilated in me. I, I get what they're saying, but I think that's a stumbling block. It's a little scary. And, yeah. It's, you know, I think there's strong. a sense that we all have, like, I, I need the magic bullet that will right. supremely wipe out my, myself or the thing that stops me. And that's totally, as it's not the case. Everything is this gradual, you know, um uh, religiously the working it out in fear and trembling like it takes a lot of like 
a lot of daily action towards the thing we're trying to move towards. Right, and yeah. and why can't it be a gentle process? I think that I'm yeah. learning in, in my life is that I have more of a say of how things go. And I think we have potentially yeah. more of a say of how things go than, than we maybe think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to decide like, no, I don't need to be like brutally annihilated. Maybe that's the effect, but let's string that over 20 years. How about I settle in and enjoy the process? And how about it be, hey, world, can it be a gentle process? That's what I'm going to order on the menu. Today. Right. You know? A gentle <laughs> process. Me too. <laughs> you know, that's what I need, man. But I think you, you, kind, you kind of have to be if you've got a, a, a life where you interact with other people that you've got to come back to. If you've got a 15-year-old son or yeah. a daughter getting ready for uh, for college yeah. and uh, and bills to pay and all that uh, all that good stuff, you you can't just be annihilated and go off i guess i guess people do people just leave and go off and live in the in the woods i don't generally think it works out well but uh yeah that was another thing that i wrote down from last night i won't read it but it was talking about how um self-imposed introversion um can be and they they say and this is very campbellian well i got it from campbell did you say campbellian (laughs) yeah um (laughs) Congrats. But he said he says he says that um, he says that eh, if you do the self-imposed introversion with the intention of facing your psyche, you might get smashed, and this can lead can lead to psychosis and to schizophrenia. It can it can yeah. crack up. But he, but he says if you if it can also lead to some of the most authentic, aligned borders are being expanded, powers are being yeah. given, like. And I'm like, okay, what is the gentle process of that look like? And I think yeah. Ron, you know, and we haven't spoken as much about this with you today, Michael, but, you know, Ron and I are both on a journey of like getting our life together, you know, and like growing up, you know, and, and um, in ways that it'd be easy to put off and in ways that keep us from a better experience in this life. And, um, you know, that, that's definitely part of it for me is, is, and I'm glad we're talking about it because it puts a fine point on it is you know, yeah, self-imposed introversion for me doesn't look like chucking my cell phone and moving off the grid anymore. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I'm connected to people. I'm connected to, you know, a good life that I don't think needs to, needs to be wholly sacrificed. Mm -hmm. However, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. So how about we also figure out how to apply that pressure and that quality time, you know, to each day? Yeah. I think there's both a combination of like daily pressure and also seasons when, you know, like you mentioned the writer's retreat that you took your students to before Michael, where you had that unrestricted time of being able to capture all your thoughts and, and that kind of deal. And I've had a silent retreat down at the uh, Abbey Gethsemane. Have you heard of that place, Michael, down in Kentucky? No. Thomas, Thomas Merton lived there for the, uh, up until when he moved to Southeast Asia and you can go there for free. Um, uh, big plug for that place and it's silent you can't say shit it's awesome <laughs> okay and and maybe you can walk off the grounds and go share a cigarette with one of the monks but it's it's like a great place it's an awesome place what's but the I, name again it's called the abbey of gethsemane okay and it's been there longer than kentucky's been a state <laughs> yeah it's a epic name too yeah yeah and um and they're one of their one of their beliefs is that anyone who comes uh, can stay for free. They ask for a donation, but you oh. can also just stay, and they feed you and put you up. And um, wow. um, and that was the first time in my life that I ever spent more than even a few hours in silence. And my brain fucking it was just like 
it was like the rip cord got pulled the flywheel really? was going full red line what do you mean um i didn't realize how much processing my brain needed to do just it just needed it just needed unrestricted time to think and and get all the gobbledygook going in all all the different directions was and it hard or did you it like was it was so fucking hard it was oh. so hard but about day three i there was an, an intense amount of relief and and i was journaling too so i was like getting a bunch mm -hmm. of stuff on paper and highly recommend i mean I, I i mean kind of as we were talking about, like i could probably use one of those before too long like a time <laughs> like of once just, a year you know yeah seriously seriously what were you going to say michael uh just you're talking about uh you know getting your lives together and uh going through that process and everything that's that's something you that continues to happen uh my, my wife and i are both in our, our mid-50s and that's been really a major part of the last few years is making that switch from being young or then relatively young to being mm -hmm. in your in your middle years and uh, and all the all the change that uh, comes with it because the tools and things that work when you're when you're 25 or 35 or even 40 uh don't they they quit working at, at after yeah. a time and you switch uh you switch roles and everything uh my wife dealt with you're talking about you know taking taking yourself out and everything my wife dealt with it uh by going to uh uh walking the the uh, camino day Santiago. Thank you. The Camino de, de Santiago. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, yeah, Janine, yeah. Uh, she went, she was, she was hoping to have uh, an experience of silence. What actually happened was she ran into a bunch of other people <laughs> there and they all walked yeah. together most, most days oh, yes. and yeah. it became totally. a very communal experience. But so she just drew from, from that. That's what's nice. happening. So nice. that's when she came back and she, she wrote a book turning 50 on the Camino del, del oh, fuck Santiago. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and so that's that's how she processed that through, through writing a book which is very yeah which is uh which is very her but it's uh that that sense of of trying to get your life together i'm pretty sure that goes until you're 90 until you uh you know if you're not learning until you die something's yeah. uh you know something's missing it took oh. it took a uh, milo all the way up to the finish line right, right to the very team. right to the scary finish line <laughs> of being literally annihilated yeah you know, uh, I know we're up against our time about here, but it, I, I would be remiss. <clears throat> I wanted to pay you a compliment because uh, when I think about the best writing I've ever read, like the particular chapter, the page or the line and stuff, there's two things that come to my mind first. And I, I you know, I'm, of course, if I thought and thought and thought about it, I, I could come up with a bunch of other stuff. But the first two things that come to my mind <clears throat> are the last page last page of all the pretty horses cormac mccarthy the last page of that book he's talking about these deep glens and these silver trout and the way he says it, it's almost like he's speaking a different language it's it's fucking beautiful it's my favorite it just gives me chills and then the other thing that comes to my mind is that chapter that you wrote where uh, and when the guy's in the space prison man that chapter oh man that gets me it's so such an interesting balance of terrifying, of visceral, of entertaining, of image provoking, um, and of I'm right there with him and I don't want to be and who I can't wait to keep going. Like you nailed that, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. People who don't care for the book, that's one of the main things they they bring up. They say that was that was too dark or uh, or have uh, other problems with it but yeah. anyway I, I appreciate you saying that because that's why it's in there it's it's not uh, it's not supposed to be not supposed to be comfortable it wasn't comfortable to write about 
So really? yeah, yeah. Interesting. So real, real quick anecdote here. You mentioned uh, the uh, the the passage from Cormac McCarthy a long time ago with Up Jumps the Devil. I was trying to convince my uh, my editor to let me do without quotes and punctuation around uh, around dialogue <laughs> and everything like that. And and, and she said no because that's not the I forget exactly what she said. And I said, well, Cormac McCarthy does it. And she very pointedly yeah. said, you're not Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> so a, thank you a, thank you man that's very healing yeah. to be compared to him in that, wow. in that way i appreciate it nice or in the same remark gets to you yeah. yeah totally you know it's a memorable visceral it's visceral yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. I, so. I have i have a topic i want to i need i need personally to close this loop full come full circle <laughs> and michael you weren't a part of this conversation J daniel and i were already recording but by the time you came on we we, we break the the podcast in three parts and so you know, the, the name of the podcast is Cutting for Sign. It's an old hunting term, which means to look for the clue or the footprint for the thing that you're following or tracking. And for us, it's a metaphor tracking our life and and who we hope is our best future self, our best version of ourself. And we want to catch up to that idealized self. And Daniel and I were talking at the beginning of this is, is the stages we've been in our life of either liking or disliking owning or not wanting to own our own names mm, and yes. and i'm kind of finally entering in you know i growing up my my name was ronnie or little ronnie because my dad's name was ron and i got called things like scrawny ronnie growing up mm. i didn't like that name you know then it was ronald mcdonald or ronald reagan and and then i professionally in my early 20s i started going by ron and and my friends and family like made fun of me for um going ron like who, who do you think you are now ron like office ron and 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 i'm i'm ambivalent about that name now but i've started to own ronald like the full name even though it's so formal and kind of fussy sounding i i don't know i'm just kind of settling into it and daniel was uh i don't want to steal your words here around this daniel yeah. but you know you said you had a lot of, a lot of baggage around your name mm -hmm. and and i i was thinking about the name Milo in names. And then we were talking about there are cultures that um, during rites of passages or other kind of events, you know, collectively where a person would be called something else or they got to choose their own name. And yeah, what do you think of that, Michael? Do you think, do you, do you, number one, do you own your name? Do you, you thought about changing your name? And, uh, yeah, I, I've, I very much own my name. I, I kind of had to. I mean, my last name is Poor, you know, uh, it's not not a huge compliment, but, you know, Poor Mike Poor, everybody I've ever, ever met has gone has gone through through that. Yeah. All right. Um, my kids sometimes ask me, do you like your name? I said, I said yeah, I guess I, I didn't always like it per se. But when it came to there was something I read when it came to putting my name on my work, if it was getting published, like with a story or something like yeah. that. And uh, I wondered about using, uh, using a pseudonym. And I read something where, where some author said, I didn't do all that work to put somebody else's name on the page. <laughs> and also I feel that, you know, that would dishonor my father and, uh, you know, and, and my family. So I've just <laughs> always, uh, you know, now it's too late to change it if I, if I wanted to. So, but uh, yeah, I definitely, definitely uh own it um i didn't start going by michael more than mike until probably that was probably a rite of passage kind of thing like my early 20s yeah. or, or something i um it had a little bit to do with apparently michael means he who is like god so i thought that was kind of trippy and fun for uh yeah, for a while so i like i like that people know the meanings of their names um 
Ronald and I have, have talked about that. And he actually on a memo, a voice memo to me like yesterday, uh, um, said, spoke the meaning of like both of my names. I thought that was really cool. But I did have a question um, around um, Milo's name and just a writing question. Well, two of them actually. First, well, first is a big one. I know we're, we're trying to get out of this, but you know, um, I'm curious if you see yourself in Milo at all. And also, like if he's an archetypal of a, a version of you or how he relates to like you're in my in my terms inner world. And then just a nuts and bolt, bolts question. Was it tricky to tell so many stories about his soul having different lives and refer to him as Milo or whatever his name was there? And if there was a gender sh shift, was that tricky? Um, I didn't let it become tricky. I just sort of did whatever seemed natural at the time. And the thing is about, you know, I have... Uh, an agent and an editor and everybody and there are lots of people who help me figure that stuff out I, ha I have a lot of help with uh, with this book cool. so um, yeah every, every, every once in a while I'd be like okay well he needs a, a female name here or um, I didn't always I didn't always assume that he that he was called uh, Milo I think it just sort of worked out that but way but sometimes in the he was like like in his first life right he was like Milanopolis or something like oh that. Yeah. he was my Milo Parv it was a it was supposed to be an ancient oh. indian indian yeah. name yeah i yeah. i just kind of made that up until i i thought it sounded i'd, I'd like to say that I, I i researched it well and probably i should <laughs> I, I i should have but i i just wanted it to sort of sound his name wouldn't just be milo in uh, in ancient yeah. india but uh no i i got the name from um there's a book I read as a kid, the Phantom, uh, the Phantom Tollbooth, and the main character in the Phantom Tollbooth is named Milo, and I've just always liked that name. It sounds, it's, it sounds kind of fun. It's kind of, it's kind of bright and and sunny and and different, while at the same time being, you know, simple enough that you can hammer the reader with it, chapter after chapter <laughs> after chapter, yeah. and they won't, you know. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Well, hey. I really just sorry Ron go ahead no man Michael this is a big gift to us both really yeah. appreciate you thank you, you well like, likewise and, this is yeah. this has been a lot of fun you've given me a lot to think about and I, I took uh I took a lot of notes I don't know if you can God. you can Whoa. see the notes but what an so, honor. <laughs> some of them I took You're beforehand like... just trying to get ready just kind of based on some of the other stuff that I, I've seen that you guys have done yeah. some of the other uh the inter interviews with, 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 with very oh, very cool. smart articulate people um everything so so yeah likewise I, hey, are you working on anything right now? You got a book? Oh, yes. I've been use? working on a I've been working on a book <laughs> I call Ahab. It's the it's a prequel to Moby Dick. It's just the life of Captain <laughs> Ahab before I've been yeah. working on that sucker for uh, like four, four years now. And I did the, the first part of it, the part where you just write and write and everything happens and stuff and everything. Yeah. And I did. I was done with that several years ago. So now I've been doing the the brain part of it well this work you know and then and that's just been grueling i feel like my brain's bleeding so mm. that's what i'm doing now you, you're you've taken on the devil and captain a right <laughs> <laughs> damn <And> death. Man. <laughs> yeah yeah Shit, dude. death devil and, and yeah. oh I, I was curious by the way speaking of uh, up jumps the devil are they going to do an audio version of that i was looking everywhere for no there 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 are no plans uh, sales on that to, to this point haven't been so they, it came out as a paperback original so they were echo uh -huh. echo was kind of a little they didn't really put all their energy uh uh behind it it did 
well enough, I suppose. Are you proud of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved it. When I was writing Reincarnation Blues, I used to be like, I don't know if this is really any. I wish I could write Up Jumps the Devil again. But um, there is a uh, I'm working with uh, a major TV studio. I I don't think I'm supposed to talk about who it is at this point where they're they're developing uh, Reincarnation Blues as a TV series. Uh, oh, if that nice. becomes something that yeah. works, the yeah. producer also wants to try up jumps the double. So that's nice. so that's where that is. There won't be an audio book, but Dude. possibly there might be a TV show. Obviously, yeah. if, if you know anybody in Hollywood, you know it's also extremely possible that nothing whatsoever will happen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like at any stage. Mm-hmm. God, mm. we could really use we could use some like juicy original content like this stuff. Like I, yeah. I I'm. I hope that works out. I really yeah. do. So I think that'd be an awesome thing to have out there. So do I. It would be fun. And what they've, the way they've talked about doing it, the, the producer has a uh, has tremendous respect for the material and uh, yeah. and a sense of fun and uh, you, you know wanting to do it so that it has some depth and to do it well. They're going for a yeah. big budget uh, version of the of the show. So wow. hell yes, that's wow. awesome. So Dude. so we'll hey, see. Good luck, man. Yeah. Well, if it goes, come back. Let's. Keep we'll do this again all right hey, super fun you're a gem michael thank yeah, you so much a lot I of fun. Really, michael, appreciate yeah. it so yeah. have a great day all right cool. you too all right adios michael all right take care welcome field to field dressing, dressing. man can i for something michael poor let's do more let's do more michael pores yeah not just michael, michael poor but uh guys like him i i this can was do girls too Sure, sure. I don't know if anybody <laughs> talked. Just kidding. <laughs> this Turn is... it into a serious gender question. Well, if you can do guys and girls, can you do some? Shut days? the fuck up. <laughs> Michael is awesome. Here we go. Here we go. Michael is awesome. Fucking a, man. Yeah, I. I mean, I'm. I. I get obsessed with books that I'm reading, and I want to return to it. So I'm already excited about this evening when I can unwind and start to re not to re to get back into it and listen to it. Um. I fell asleep listening to it and I woke up during a part of the book where uh, Mila comes back as the, as the uh, child of, um, of um, a water mogul for the, the galaxy. Is that connected to that chapter? And, and did I miss it? Did I sleep through it? Oh, okay. I get two of his chapters confused. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get, I get a little bit confused around, did my sound change? You're fine. Okay. Cool. I get a little bit confused uh, between two chapters and um, it's either that one or another one. But yeah, he, there's a couple really interesting things that happen without giving too much away. Um, but like he just, he's, he's on 9,995 9, 9, when the book starts and it's his yeah. last five lives, right? Yeah. And one of them, he's like, it's coming down to it and he needs to fucking pull his shit together. And he learns that if you're rich, it's a little easy. Like that's, <laughs> so he's like, he's like, fuck it. I'm on nine, 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 nine. Like I need to get my shit together. I'm going to give me everything. You can kind of decide what your life's going to be a little bit. Yeah. And he goes, I want to be rich. So he's rich and it just fucking goes pear shaped. Like it's the worst catastrophe. Like he totally fucks it up. <laughs> Well, I want to read. I, I, I want to read the blurb from the book because I, I, you know, you mentioned this book a while back, and um, and and I don't think it quite did it justice. And then I started to, um, you know, I, 
I read the, um, you know, the jacket cover and, and then I thought, shit, this actually sounds really, really good. So I'm going to read it because I, this book cool. should be more popular than it is. Oh, a hundred percent. Sure. Man. And it's got it's, Jesus, so almost five-star rating, perfect five-star rating. On, it's a on fucking Amazon. gem. Man. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, Michael, thanks again for, you know, coming on here, dude. But, uh, uh, okay. So a wildly imaginative novel about a man who has reincarnated over 10,000 lifetimes to be with his one true love, death herself. Isn't that great? Um, tales of, uh, there's a little quote here. And then first we live, then we die. And then we get another try. 10,000 tries to be exact, 10,000 lives to get it right. Answer all the big questions, achieve wisdom and become one with everything. Milo has had 9,995 chances so far and just five more lives to earn a place in the cosmic soul. If he doesn't make the cut, oblivion awaits. But all Milo really wants is to fall forever into the arms of death, or Susie, as he calls her. More than just Milo's lover throughout the countless layovers in the afterlife, Susie is literally his reason for living. As he dives into one existence after another, praying for the day he'll never have to leave her side again. But reincarnation blues is more than just a great love story. Every journey from cradle to grave offers Milo more pieces of the great cosmic puzzle. If only he can piece them together in time to finally understand what it means to be a part of something bigger than infinity. As darkly enchanting as the works of Neil Gaiman and as wisely hilarious as Kurt Vonnegut's, Michael Poore's Reincarnation Blues is the story of everything that makes life profound, beautiful, absurd, and heartbreaking. Because it's more than Milo's and Susie's story. It's your story too. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that's a good idea to read that. You know, it, there's a couple of chapters in there that kind of go, oh man. So I just listened to it again because a friend of mine was like, uh, she uh, recommended it. And you never know when you recommend a book, you know, it's like, you know, get it on Audible and make it three minutes in and then stop, you know, but yeah. this took, you know, it took for her and it's taken for you. And, you know, I, so I got to re-listen to it again, like for basically a fourth time. And I forgot about some of the chapters, you know, and that's how rich they are. Like he goes back and he, he does one of his last lives with the Buddha <laughs> and like, and it's serious. Like he lives the whole life, you know, like with, but basically with Buddha, you know, just yeah. hanging out and just being one of his people. And, and then also he spends a whole lifetime of lifetimes worth of time in the afterlife seeking perfection there and perfection for him in that world is to, he decides to be a juggler. And if you can juggle water, that's perfection. And so he spends like decades and decades, as far as I remember it, uh, questing just on a quest as this juggler, but it's not it's not funny. It's like, yeah. it's kind of the nadir of the book in some ways, because he's really like struggling. He's like, fuck this shit. I'm going to be perfect. And he obsesses over learning how to juggle water while traveling in this wasteland. And wow. it's this, like, there's so much to that book. Like there's five novellas in it and 30 short stories. Yeah. You know? God damn so it. Funny. It would be, a, it will be. And I, and I'm saying this, you know, kind of out there in the universe <laughs> that helps it out. But like that would, it will be a fucking awesome TV show. Interesting. That would be a great long form TV show. Cause there's like each chapter could be not just one episode, but maybe a few episodes. And I would think each, I would think each, maybe each life is a season or something. Dude, easily. You know? Easily. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, hey, thank you for that. I thought you were great in that interview, by the way. Thanks, that, man. That conversation. That. that was a great conversation. Let's yeah. do more like those. Yeah. All right, buddy. Good to see you. Love you, my man. Love you too. See you.